the, uh, the chapter in its entirety. And this is uh, page 539 in your pew Bible, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain hill and hill made low. The rough ground should become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who has taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman and sets up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned on the circle above the circle of the earth. And it's people like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. Like a whirlwind sweeps away the chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who crafted all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. The young men stumble and fall. fall. But those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our great and our glorious God. We come before you with a sense of expectancy. Lord, that you would meet with us. That you would just give us a glimpse of your glory. And Lord, that we would be changed as we behold your face. Lord, I come before you woefully insufficient for this great task. But Lord, I thank you that my sufficiency is not from me. My sufficiency is from you. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would lend power to these words that we might behold your face. Lord, words are so unable to convey your glory. But in this life, it's the best we have. So Lord, I pray again by your spirit that you would help us to see more clearly who you are and that we would see ourselves in the light of your countenance. For I pray this in the most powerful and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. At the tent of meeting outside the camp of Israel, Moses said to the Lord, please show me your glory. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. But God said, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord told Moses to cut two tablets of stone upon which the Lord would write the ten words, the ten commandments, which he had written previously. And he told Moses to be ready and to go up the mountain early in the morning. But nobody was allowed to go with him. He was to go alone, and not one animal from the flock or the herd was allowed to graze opposite that mountain. And so Moses did as he was instructed. He cut the two blocks of stone and he rose early in the morning and he went up Mount Sinai 
carrying those two tablets. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And then Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai, came down with his face shining, so much so that the people of Israel were afraid to look on him, so he had to cover his face with a veil. So what do you think would have been going on in Moses' mind as he prepared to go up that mountain? What do you think he was thinking as he prepared his heart to behold the glory of the Lord? In just a minuscule way, I believe the things that I was experiencing in my heart reflected the thoughts that have been going on in the mind of Moses. And I hope and pray that the same sorts of things will be going on in your mind as you prepare your heart to behold the glory of the Lord. Now, as we, we go through this, this series together, I'm going to be using words like awesome and great and mighty and love. But these are words that have become common in our culture. These are words that have become cheapened by the way that we use them. And I just wish, as I was studying these things, I just wish that there was other words that I could use. In, in just a small way, as, as, I've, as I've been professing my love to Jane, I find that words just don't cut it. The, the, the words that I have are just not enough. I can't say, I can't profess how much I love her. And how much more should that be our response when we behold the glory of God? that we should be like Job and place our hands over our mouths. There is no more important thing than we can look at than the glory of God. My heart was even racing this morning as I was preparing to share these things with you. It's even, I feel like I'm almost short of breath as I'm sharing these things with you. And brothers and sisters and friends, I am so excited that together we're going to walk through these things and, and behold the glory of the Lord, not through my words, but as his spirit applies these things to our hearts. So, so this week, as I've been thinking about these things, there's really seven key responses. There, was, there were many more, but, but really seven key things that came to mind as I began to, to, to think about and to study the, the glory of God, to prepare to, to share it with us. First of all, I felt conviction. 
When I considered God's holiness and God's perfections and his righteousness, I've seen my own sin. I've seen especially my own failure to apprehend these things. And I, I, I knew that, that this, this was going to be the case, not just this week, but as we continue this study together. And so on, on the one hand, I'm eager for that because, because it, it, it's hard to come face to face with my sin. So I'm eager, but I'm also uneasy because I know that that's going to continue. And I pray that that would be the case, not just for me, but for each one of us. To think about, to think about what, what God said to Moses, that man shall not see me and live. You can't study who God is without coming away with a better view of yourself. We all tend to be a little bit myopic or, or nearsighted. We, we often can't see God clearly because we're so focused on ourselves and so focused on, on, on what we want and our sin just skews the picture of God. But when we view God as he really is, or as much as we can humanly in this life, in the power of the Spirit, it, it becomes like a corrective. It, it helps us to see also ourselves more clearly. And quite often, that is a scary thing. Just this past week, on Thursday, I was, uh, I was called by a lady from another town who wanted me to come and visit a relative of hers who was in hospice care. And this lady was a Christian and was concerned about the eternal state of, of, of this man. This was actually the first time that, that I've, I've been to the hospice. And it's, it's a beautiful building on the outside. There's there's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful um, wood structure with, with a, a nice waterfall in the front. And, and, you know, you walk into a nice lobby. But as soon as you walk through the doors into where the patients are, you, you smell something. And it's something that I had never smelled before. It's the smell of death. And it's an impossible thing for me to describe, but, but it's, it's, even as I think about it, it's, 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 a, it's a horrible smell. And it was a reminder that, that death is an enemy and that death is God's justice for sin. Ever since sin in the garden, man was condemned to death. All of us, if the Lord tarries, will face physical death. And this man that, that I went to see, as, as soon as I walked into the room, he was surrounded by, by some family. He wasn't that, that old. He was probably in his late 50s, maybe early 60s. And there was, was family there, and they, they saw me standing at the door and said, oh, well, who are you? And I said, I'm a pastor. My name is John Tucker, and I pastor a church just down the road. And as soon as I said that, you could feel the, the atmosphere in the room just change. And it was very obvious that I was not welcome there. And the man who was in the bed 
almost sneered. And it was, it was very uncomfortable, to say the least. And I asked if, if I could pray, and, and a couple of family members said, well, yeah, okay, but, but the man in the bed said, no, I don't want you to pray. And his son said, well, it's okay, my, my dad is, is a good man. My dad's a good man, he'll be, he'll be okay. And this really was not the place to get into an argument about it. But this man, this man was shaking his fist at God and was about to enter God's presence. It's a terrifying thought. It's a terrifying thought. And all of us will face physical death. And apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be condemned to eternal hell. It makes me shudder. But I praise God that for many of us here, we will also feel as we study these things a confidence confidence. Moses would have been destroyed if God did not hide him in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his hand. Neither can we behold the glory of the Lord. We too would be destroyed unless God hides us in the rock and covers us with his hand. Fanny Crosby wrote in her hymn, He Hideth My Soul, a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. Brothers and sisters, we can behold the glory of the Lord because we have been hidden in the rock of Christ Jesus. He is the rock of ages cleft for us. As Augustus Toplady wrote, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. So God did not just cover us with his hand. He covers us with his blood. And so he is our confidence when we behold the glory of the Lord. I've also felt weakness as I've gotten a glimpse of the greatness of God and of my own unworthiness and my inability, apart from God's grace, to begin to approach this subject. J.I. Packer wrote in his introduction to knowing God that he felt like a clown aspiring to play Hamlet in his attempt to deal with the subject matter. Well, in my case, I think a clown would be a major step up. So I feel like somebody who is aspiring to be a clown, who is aspiring to play Hamlet. I am woefully insufficient to be able to portray these things to you. I just can't do it. When we begin to see how immeasurably big 
God is, we begin to see how minuscule we are in comparison. In 1 Corinthians 2, sorry, in 2 Corinthians 2, when the Apostle Paul spoke of being the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to those who are being saved, and the aroma of death to those who are perishing, he responded, Who is sufficient for these things? And like Paul, much more so than Paul, I would say, who is sufficient to proclaim the glories of God? I know I'm not. So that's led me to the, the, to the next thought. I felt dependence. Dependence. So even though I know my own weakness, even as Paul confessed his own insufficiency, he was relying on God. So he went on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Such is the confidence we have in, through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he went on, Now the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have much more glory? So when we come together to study these things, we are being ministered to by God's word in the power of his spirit. And I felt an earnestness of prayer that the Lord would do a powerful work in my heart and in all of our hearts, that he would first show me his glory, and then out of that experience in the power of the Spirit, I would in some measure be able to relay that to you. And God, as I said at the outset, is answering that prayer. He's revealing to me, to himself, to me, personally, powerfully, and presently. Personally, because I don't want to come and share with you somebody else's experience. I want to know that. I need to know that in my heart. Or else I'll be coming up here as a hypocrite. It's something that, that I need to experience powerfully. I need to know God's power revealing these things to me. Otherwise, I'm just going to be scratching at the surface and getting nowhere. I need to know these things presently. I can't rely on some past experience. This needs to be in the now. I need to be experiencing these things even as I'm preaching. I've also felt anticipation of what the Lord will do in us as a body as we embarked on this study together. We as a leadership team are praying that the Lord would do a work in all of our hearts. That we would respond corporately, being, being awestruck at the awesomeness of our God. That we would respond in worship. That we would respond in love. That we would, would respond in, in joy, in fellowship, in thanksgiving. And that it would transform the way that we live our lives together before God. 
that it would cause us to be zealous, zealous in our good works for his glory. That we'd be eager to pour out works of service to one another, works of ministry and mercy in the community. And that it would, would give us a zeal of evangelistic fervor, all for the glory of God. So when Moses said, Lord, please show me your glory. We want that to be the prayer of all of us. That we would come here each week expecting to meet with God. Expecting to behold the glory of God and to be changed by it. When Moses saw the glory, his face glowed. His face glowed. And I pray that, that those who see us would see that our faces are also glowing as we have beheld and are beholding the glory of God. I've also felt a sense of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving because I am so incredibly privileged to be able to study these things. I'm thankful to the Lord for calling me to this and I'm thankful to you for making it possible that I can spend my weeks studying and meditating and praying on these things. God, according to his providential plan, has ordained that we would be here together to study these things together. And I am thankful for you. I'm thankful that I'm not just sitting off in a corner somewhere studying these things as an academic exercise. But I'm thankful for the blood of Christ shed not just for me personally, but for us corporately. That we can grow in fellowship together as we behold God's face. We exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. The earth exists to glorify God. The universe exists to glorify God. The Puritan Stephen Charnock, referring to Psalm 19, verse 1, said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He wrote, The whole world is a stage. Every creature in it hath a part to act, and a nature suited to that part and end it is designed for, and all concur in a joint language to publish the glory of divine wisdom. They have a voice to proclaim the glory of God. Even unbelievers know that in the hardness of their hearts, through the hardness of their hearts. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what then can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Even an unbeliever is able to, a certain measure, see the glory of God. The study 
of the glory of God is the most important thing that we can do. A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most, most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the first question of the Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the, the chief purpose of man? The answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Westminster Catechism, let me commend it to you. It's, it's a series of, of short questions and answers that are designed to be memorized. And they, they really are, are, are for, for training people in the basics of biblical doctrine. And for centuries, godly fathers have used the Westminster Catechism to, to train their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And I would love to see a return to that practice. I would love to see fathers taking their responsibility seriously as biblical heads of their homes to train their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And I see that here in a measure. I see that. I see men taking this seriously, and I see families changing as a result. Because we see, we see that they themselves are washing themselves in the water of the word and are water, washing their wives in the water of the word and, and training their children to know who God is. Now, of course, we, we can't make children come to faith. That's, that's God's job in the power of his spirit. But men, we can train our children Mothers, we can train our children to know who God is. And apart from, from really just one small statement in the, the Westminster Catechism, I really can, can from what I've studied, I can, can, I can commend the whole document wholeheartedly. So I really would, would ask you to, to think about that, to study it. But we're going to be using question four of the Westminster Catechism as the basis of this study on the glory of God. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be studying the attributes of God as they're presented in question four of the Westminster Catechism. And it simply asks the question, what is God? The response is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So each week we're going to be studying these attributes over the, the next eight weeks. We're going to be looking at these things and see how each one of them is a different facet of the glory of God. So just quickly to, to give us an overview of what they are, in, in two weeks after um, Pastor Al Hearn is here, we're going to be, be studying how God is infinite, how God is infinite. In Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, David writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? 
or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Beloved, God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is here in this room. He is here in our hearts. He is in the far corners of the universe. He is everywhere. Earlier I read Isaiah chapter 40, just looking at that, the immensity of God. It said there that, that men are like grass. The nations are as nothing. He holds the islands like dust. We can't even wrap our heads around the immensity of God. Again, when we see just how vast God is, how big God is, we become minuscule in our own eyes. In this, in this chapter, we see that, that these are the words that were on John the Baptist's lips as he was preparing the way for Jesus. He said in verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so when, when John had, he had finished preparing and he said, he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. When we behold the glory of God, he is increased and we are, in, are decreased. God is eternal and unchangeable. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And these words are echoed in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The eternal Trinity existing together, Father, Son, and Spirit. No beginning and no end. Again, when we meditate on these things, we, we begin to, to shrink in our own eyes. When Moses was before God at the burning bush. And, and Moses said to God, if, the, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of, my, of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. 
I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Exodus 3, 13 to 15. God's name is I am. The, the, this is known as the, the tetragrammaton, and it means the four letters. The four letters. Y-H, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Yahweh. It simply means I am. The Lord has no beginning and no end. He simply is. He is eternal and he is unchangeable. God is wise beyond all comparison. God's ways are perfect. God's goals are perfect. And he always has the best way of getting there in mind. And the best way to see this is Christ. Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. God is all wise. The, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. The so-called wisest people on the planet, God calls fools. Because they deny God, they deny who he is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As we behold who God is, as he shows himself to us in his word by the power of his spirit, we will, we will grow in the fear of the Lord and will grow in wisdom, in the knowledge of God. God's power. God is omnipotent. His power is infinite and is exhaustive. He is in control over every single part of the universe at all times. C.H. Spurgeon said, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dances, dances against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the, chaff of, of the, that the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small to escape God's sovereign control. God's holiness. God is utterly set apart from sin and sinners. When Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw that the seraphim were, were crying out before him and they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And this is reflected in Revelation chapter 4 as the, the elders are gathered around the throne of God and they cry out, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord. When we see the holiness of the Lord, we become, we come face to face with our own sinfulness. We come face to face with our own sinfulness and we know in our hearts that the sinfulness of man requires the justice of God. God's justice is seen in, in Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. We saw that in the verse that I read in this, in the, in the, at the beginning of my sermon. That God will no, by no means clear the, the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God's justice is perfect. It's perfect. And his wrath will be poured out perfectly for all eternity on those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we are to be instruments of God's justice. When I think about, about God's justice, I can't help but think about arguably the greatest injustice of all time the injustice of Christ on the cross. The injustice of Christ on the cross. Being killed by wicked men, though he was without sin. It's on the cross that we see the wrath of God poured out perfectly on his beloved son in our place. but it's also on the cross where we see the goodness of God. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the goodness of God. In Titus 3, verses 3 to 7, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of, genera of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So may we behold the goodness of God in the face of Christ. And then finally, we study the truth of God. The truth of God, Isaiah 65, 16, so that he who blesses himself in the land, who takes an oath in the land, shall swear by the God of truth. And in Romans 3, 4, when, when Paul's opponents were tempted to question the, 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 the faithfulness of God, 
Paul responded, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. God is, is faithful. God is true. God is the definition of truth. So brothers and sisters, if we want to come to know who God is, if we want to behold the glory of God, we will find it in his word. Because the Bible just drips with the glory of God. The Bible is filled with the glory of God on every page. So as we study these things together, as we go through God's word and see what God's word says about God, let us come together with, with a sense of expectancy, saying, God, show me your glory. And may that not be true just on Sunday mornings. But may that, that flow into our weeks. May, may our minds be filled with thoughts of the glory of God as we're walking down the street, as we're driving in our cars, as we're talking with our loved ones, as we're performing our duties at work. Let our minds be filled with the glory of God. But there is nowhere that you can better see the glory of God than in the face of Christ. For he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Let us see God in Christ Let us know who God really is. Not the God of our imaginations, but the living God. The Lamb who was slain for us. And the best place that you can see the glory of Christ is in the cross of Christ where all of God's attributes are poured out for his glory. So I pray that each week that we will see how the study of the attributes of God points to the cross and that we will be changed, that we'll be changed, that God would give new life to unbelievers that God would give repentance to willful sinners. That we would all be humbled before his face. And that we would worship him together in spirit and in truth. Many years ago, when I was living in Australia, I took a bus trip in, in Western Australia, and if you're at all familiar with, with the landscape of, of Western Australia, it is flat. It is flat. 
I took a 16-hour bus trip up north to go diving with, with whale sharks. And it was, it was a, such a long trip. Most everybody on the bus was asleep except for, for me and the bus driver. I couldn't sleep because I couldn't fit in the seats. But, but everybody there was sound asleep. And I was so glad that I was awake, even though I was stiff, because I beheld out that bus window one of the most glorious things that I've ever seen in my life. Because of the, the color of the, the Australian soil and the flatness of the landscape, I saw the most incredible sunrise that I have ever seen in my life. The whole eastern sky was lit up with oranges and yellows. I, I, the, the way that the, the clouds formed and the, and, the, and the rays shone through and just the, the number of different colors that I saw, words can't express how beautiful that was. And I feel really like I'm trying to do the same thing when, when I describe the glory of God, but how much more so that I just don't have the words to express the glory of God. But most of the people who were on that bus were sound asleep. They just didn't see it. Now, I could try to explain it to them, but unless they behold it for themselves, they're not going to get it. Likewise, unless you behold the glory of God for yourself, you will not get it. So have you experienced the glory of God? You can't unless you experience the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Glorious God, we bow in your presence. Fill us with your spirit that we may know, that we may know who you are, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. And we ask this for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ.